shouting like crazy about 6.30 tonight. I don't know what's wrong with you, but um, you got to get with Jesus right now. Amen? Come on, we're going to get in the Word today, and, and I want to talk about uh, Thomas and the Bible. And I want to talk about uh, doubt, and we'll talk about what it's going to do for us. So John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Um, hey, we're glad and excited you're here. If you're new with us today, you're visiting we are honored to have you. If uh, if we don't know you and you want information, there's like little guest cards you can fill out. There's uh, informational uh, little piece of paper in, in the pews there. You can take those and uh, we want to get to know you uh, and we just want to say welcome. Thanks for coming. We're glad to have you. Uh, John chapter 20 verses 24 through 29. Father in Jesus name, let the word become alive. Again, I humble myself as your servant. Let me bring what you want to be brought today into us because all of us want to connect with you. All of us want to meet with you. We don't want to just to be inspired. We don't want just to lessen. We want to know that we've met with you, Lord God, and we praise you, we worship you, and thank you for the word of God is living and active. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Once you read this, you'll understand. Verse 24, now Thomas called Didymus. Now let me just give you a little history lesson or language lesson. So Thomas and Didymus, uh, Thomas is the Aramaic word for twin. Didymus is the Greek word for twin. Okay, so Thomas obviously, if you didn't understand that, has a twin. Who is he? We don't know, but he has a twin. Okay, so just say he has a twin. Okay, it doesn't matter. All right, so you're like, what is that? That's deep. Wow, I know. All right, so one of the, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples came, told him, we have seen the Lord. You've got to read it with excitement, okay? We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his sides, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. I love this. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Here's verse 28. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, let's look at this for a second. Okay, so here Thomas, and we, he gets the moniker Doubting Thomas and so Thomas is not there when Jesus is resurrected. So you've you got to put your mind in their mindset. Okay, so Jesus came. He was the promised Messiah. Say promised Messiah. Okay, and so in their mindset, this, this promised Messiah was going to deliver them from, from a corrupt government, from corrupt religious leaders, from a wicked paganistic uh, controlling government through, through the uh, Romans. Uh, they believed for centuries that the Messiah would come. So now Jesus brings hope. He brings wonderful teachings, uh, life-changing. He does signs and wonders, miracles. He calls these 12 and he call, eventually calls them apostles, but they're disciples now. And so he tells them over and over, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to die and when I die, things are going to go good. So you think about that. So the disciples were Jewish. They had this mindset that Jesus is, is the Messiah. And so they had this in their mindset growing up. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to deliver us and he's going to be a king. Because early on, now you've got to remember this, they had a kingship. Or very first, they had a theocracy. Say theocracy. Theocracy was God was in charge, still is in charge. He spoke directly to either the prophet or the spokespeople or the judges, and then they disseminated and they lived out. And then the people said, we want a government just like the rest of the world. See, what we are trouble. Aren't we a mess? 
we, we want the government when God says, I can direct you daily. So, all right, so that's a whole other thing. So you'll get that later. Think about that. It'll, it'll, it's a light of click for some of you. So, so now they have this mindset. Okay, Jesus is the Messiah. He is going to rule. He's going to vanquish with sword. He's going to destroy the Romans. He is going to destroy the religious leaders. So in their mindset, they have this mindset of what the Messiah is going to be. Do you understand where I'm going with this? They have a mindset that maybe Jesus doesn't have a mindset of. They think he's going to have a ruling army. They're going to get out there and march, you know, and destroy the enemy, and they're going to set up the kingdom again. Jesus has a different kingdom mindset. And so he keeps telling them, my kingdom is different. It's, it's different than what you want. And then, of course, when he's crucified, he's buried, and of course he's resurrected, now Thomas, his whole world is shattered. And so then the other disciples say, hey, man, Thomas, you weren't here, but we saw Jesus. And, he, and, and, G, they, and what does Thomas say? In, unless I see him. Because Thomas saw when Jesus was cru- crucified. He saw all that. And so today's message, if you look at it, the, the title is Seeing is Not Believing. So the question is, who has not had doubts? Anyone doubted in this room? I doubt it, right? Uh, 50 of you raise your hands. Oftentimes, people give us good reasons to doubt. I mean, look, look at the U.S. government shut down recently, right? That gives you doubts, right? No? You, maybe you just crawled here from under a rock. Maybe you just woke up from a deep sleep for 30 years. I'm not sure. But you see, sometimes, though, these doubts can then move into disappointments. And these disappointments can move into our lives and into our careers and our family, our church, our relationships. And sometimes then, even we doubt ourselves. You, you can doubt yourself. Do you understand that? None of you are like, I don't doubt myself. I doubt myself sometimes, okay? And so we, we have this thing of doubt. And what happens then, doubts are normal. Just say doubts are normal. Okay, doubts are normal. And so what happens, though, is if we don't control these doubts or we don't put these doubts in the right place, they can undermine our life, our relationships, our hopes, our dreams. And see, here we're going to talk about Thomas just for a few moments and move into what it means for us. You see, doubts can actually be turned into good things. All right. I know I'm lacking of sleep tonight. I only had three cups of coffee this morning. You have no excuse. (laughs) I was up all night playing video games. That's no excuse. All right. Are you ready to look into some of the aspects of doubt? And how you and I can grow from doubt. Okay, I don't believe it. I doubt. So you're making me doubt now. Yes, please hurry. Don't doubt. Okay, D- work your doubts out. All right, are you ready? Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, you see, we, yeah, you have to be excited. So, so the first thing here is write this down, doubting Thomas. And doubting Thomas, or Thomas, is the most, probably the most misaligned apostle of Jesus. Okay, you're like, still like, I doubt that some of you even checked in right now. Check in right now. Please check in. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, intellectually, check in right now because what I say from God is definitely going to help you and I. Okay? So if you look in the dictionary, I know this is not true, but if you looked up doubt in the dictionary, there would probably be a portrait of Thomas right there. Right? You've heard that statement? Okay, if you're not from this country, then sorry. The reality is, not a whole lot. If you look through scriptures, I mean, he's mentioned a few times in the New Testament, but there's not really a whole lot about Thomas in the New Testament. 
compared to John and Peter, Judas, James. Uh, in fact, the, in fact, if you look through the apostles, the disciples, there's some that just their names are there. That's it. Boop, like Thaddeus. Anybody know about Thaddeus? Bartholomew. Right. They're like who? Who are those guys? They're, they were the apostles. There were twelve of them. And, So for the master, these apostles would change the world. Okay, and so what happens though is, is now though, you and I, because we, we read this account, John chapter 20, and we read about Thomas, he says, I doubt, and, and then Jesus does rebuke him a little bit and says, hey, stop doubting, have, have faith in me. And then he says, because you've seen me, you'll be blessed, but those who, who've never seen me believe, they will be blessed as well, probably more blessed in a sense. But here's what happens, okay? Here's a quick lesson for us. Is sometimes a label or moniker can get put onto someone unfairly. Correct? And then that person lives under this stigma, this darkness of this moniker or this label. And so Thomas, if you don't know Thomas, then he was not afraid of dying. In fact, John eleven sixteen says, Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So Jesus is going to go to see Lazarus. Lazarus dies. And Jesus says, We're going to go wake him up. So Thomas is not being, he's not being sarcastic. He's saying, We're going to die with Jesus. Let's do it. Come on, I'm not afraid. In fact, some of you know, some of you don't know, that Thomas went and preached to, to, the, to the Parthians, and then he went into India and started the Christian church. And he was martyred for his faith. Some of you have no idea. Doubting Thomas. But you see, what happens is we put a label on someone, we put a moniker on someone, and we think that Thomas was a doubter all his life. It takes a lot of faith to leave your world, go to another world, and then be martyred for your faith. He worked through his... So what I want to challenge you, this is just kind of extra, but you and I have to be careful that we don't put a label on someone and that we don't let them live under that stigma. You see, the world tries to tell you all the time, this is who you are, this is your race, this is your gender, this is the way your family voted, this is, the, this is where you live, this is what your car says, this is what your shoes say, this is what your mind says. Baloney. That's a deep theological word. German, by the way. It's German. It's not Hermeckagree, okay? So you need to not let people label you. God has a call on your life. Thomas had a call on his life. And see, he got this, and we still call Thomas the doubter. Oh, he was the doubter, you know, and, you know, he, you know, I doubt, I doubt, you know. And so what happens, this negative stigma was on him. And you and I mean to be careful that people don't put a negative stigma on you and I. And I, you know, I know I struggle, and, and my mom was good at math, and I struggled in math in high school. And so then I got in this mindset, man, I struggle on tests, I struggle on tests. And so what I said was, when I kept saying that to myself, guess what? I struggled on my test and I flunked out of college. I had a 1.00 average. They're like, you know what? Bye. So I changed my ways. I prayed. I said, you know what? That's not me. I'm not that. That was bad. But I'm not that. And of course, later on, I got a master's degree. You pay people enough money, you'll get a master's degree. <laughs> I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kind of honest. But, uh, and so with that, I got all A's except for I got one B plus because there's that one professor. You know what happened? That one professor says, I do not give A's. I'm like, mm. 
I got a B plus, so that's okay. So what I'm saying is this, is if you fall into what the world tells you or your friends or your neighbors, oh, that's just lazy so-and-so. That's just, oh, they're just, you know, they're just never going to amount to much. You should never allow that to identify who you really are not. And Thomas, fortunately for him, he did not allow that to work in his life. Do you see this? And the next thing is, is sometimes we get confused about doubts, okay? So doubts and fears are not the same thing. Say doubt and fear are not the same thing. They can work together. They can work in tandem, but they're not the same thing. So again, Thomas was not afraid to die for Jesus, but he just had doubts. He just had questions. He, he, was, he just wanted some answers. And so all of us can doubt, but the question is, how do we allow the doubts either to destroy our faith or to build our faith up? This is where we're going to move on to. So, so here it is. Again, we talked about this. Letter B, his hope was shattered at the crucifixion. Let's cut him some slack. Come on, amen? Right? I mean, every one of you in this room, you want slack, right? When you have a hard day, a hard life, a hard, a hard week, you want everyone in the world to cut you slack. But our world says, no, we're, I mean, there are people are trolling you. They're waiting for you to make a grammable error on your social media posts. They're waiting for you to say something at work or school or in your neighborhood. And they're ready like, yeah, come on. Boom! Right? And you're like, come on, cut me some grace. But then when you do it, how's that working out? All right, so if you want grace, you got to give grace. That was free. That wasn't part of this message. That was just extra. So what's happening here is, he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Then he sees the Messiah crucified. His world has fallen apart. They were overtaxed. They were lied to by... They were, they were under the control of a hedonistic, paganistic government. If you, again, if you didn't know the Roman Empire, they were, they were fearful in their soldiering. And, and, and they had, a, they had a, at times, a, a republic, a democratic republic at times. But they were cruel. And you see, his hopes were shattered. Who in this room has not had your world shattered? Who in this room has not had your hopes destroyed, your dreams crushed? Who in this world has not had someone mistreat you? Who in this world has not ever had some major disappointment? All of us have or all of us will. This is where I really want to talk about this for a few minutes. We move on. You see, what happens is you and I then, we have these troubles. And so what happens is we get disappointed. I have a major disappointment from when I was a kid. My mom and dad promised that we would go to the circus. Now, I know we were talking about this in the car. Circuses really aren't that good. But as a kid, I was a little kid, my, the circus was coming to town. Mom, mom, can we go? And she kept saying, yes, we'll go. We'll go, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go. So, you know, a kid. How many of you have, remember your kids? You're right, and, you're, and your mom and dad tell you yes, right? And some of you still haven't forgiven your mom and dad. I, I got over that. I, I forgave her yesterday so I could say, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, and so, so I kept, she kept, I said, we're going to go to the circus, right? Yes, we're going to go, guess. And lo and behold, day of the circus, guess what? We didn't go. Little Stan Nelson, his seven-year-old world was shattered. And I lost hope. I was disappointed with my mom and dad. I really was. I mean, you think, I mean the, the struggle was real for a seven-year-old. Come on. But you see, that's minimal to compare to some of your real life things. I mean, really, I was disappointed. I doubted now my mom and dad. And my mom, you know, I understand it because I did it myself. You know, my kids asked me, I don't know, maybe. Of course, when my kids, man, when they wanted something, they would just say, okay, maybe means yes. 
and we're going to just keep hounding dad till he says no or yes. You know, I wasn't as persistent. My kids are great on that. I wasn't as persistent with mom and dad. And so here's my point. is you and I have disappointments, but it, it, it caused a disillusionment. It, it, it caused this, this doubting. And so what happens is when we have problems in our lives or, or our world gets shattered, it, it can cause a disappointment. And this disappointment can be, can be kind of, we could call it doubt, but it's just really a disillusionment. So I'm going to kind of go off on disillusionment for a minute. You see, here's what it is. A disillusionment is defined as a loss of illusions. Right? That's the word. Disillusionment is, a, is a, defined as a loss of illusions. And so what happens is illusions bring us a false sense of security. So I had this false sense of security. We're going to go to the circus. We're going to go to the circus. I know it's not politically correct today. And yeah, I mean, think about the stuff they do in the circus. That's a whole other story. Okay? So my illusion of us going to the circus and me having a great time and eating popcorn and all that stuff and all the stuff, there's cotton candy and the, the trinkets that I never got to buy. It devastated me. So I had a disillusionment. But I had an illusion of what the circus was like and what would happen. And, and maybe that would have happened. I doubt that would have happened. I probably would have been disappointed when I went to the circus. But you see, here's what happens. is Illusions bring a false sense of comfort. You go into a marriage with this illusion. You go to this new job with an illusion. You go to a country with this illusion. You come to a church with an illusion. You go to a new relationship. You, you, you buy a new car with this illusion, right? You buy a home. I mean, whatever. You, you, you have this illusion. And then when reality strikes, when, when the difficulties or the pain offers what a real world life is about, then you and I, we become discouraged. We become doubting. We are now disillusioned because, and if, if you've ever done a marriage counseling, with me, I always tell them, you know, what happens with, with young couples, I tell them, is that I ask them questions. Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your dad. Tell me about who did what in your family. Because, you see, I grew up in a household where my dad was Mr. Hand. He could fix almost, and in fact, he could fix pretty much everything. He could build stuff. I mean, he would bring things together. And so, guess what? I grew up learning that. And so what I do is I tell a young couple now, if you grew up and the husband's dad never did any of that, he paid for it, and he never taught his kids that, and you're, and you're the woman and you're coming in the household, well, your dad did all that, you're bringing in an illusion. And you're going to be disappointed when your future husband says, I, what's a hammer? I got a phone right here. Beep, beep, beep. It's internet. Hello, plumber. You're like, what kind of man are you? My dad would fix that in five seconds flat. And of course, I'm not your dad. Then the argument, right? And then the, right? World War V, right? And you see, there's this disappointment. Then you're like, I can't believe my husband doesn't even know how to clog, unclog a toilet. I'm more of a man than him. He, I can fix a toilet. He can. I'm being silly, but I'm also being serious. What happens is we, you and I put a expectation on someone because we have an illusion of what they should be like or what the job should be like, or what the church should be like, or what the career should be like, or what the government should be like. And so it causes doubts. We, we also use the word doubt, but we're really we're just disillusioned. And you see, I, I'm not going to talk about this just for a minute, because I see this in the church. Many have an illusion that the church should be perfect, a promise of heaven on earth. And I've been in the ministry 30 years, and I'm an optimist, but I have seen some ugly stuff in the church. Seen some ugly stuff in my neighborhood. 
I've seen some ugly stuff in non-Christian work. I've seen ugly, just people can be ugly, mean. But what happens is we think, well, Jesus is perfect. He's, he has all this stuff and everything should be, it should be perfect in church. Have you not read the book of Corinthians? So what happens is we have, this perce- we have this perception, this illusion of perfection. We yearn for genuine belonging and real community. We expect the church leaders and fellow believers to meet our needs. That we expect them to value our opinions and embrace our talents. We hope everyone will overlook our faults while we are ready to correct theirs. You see, we have this false sense of security about what the church is. And so, in fact, I mean it. If you, I just was looking at it again this morning. If you've not looked at Corinthians, they were messed up. That, come on. I mean, before communion, they were getting drunk and gorging themselves before communion. And then Jesus, uh, uh, Paul has to say, uh, it's reported, it's true that a, a man has his father's wife. He's having relationships with his father's wife. That's sick. What? That's wrong? Yeah, that's wrong. I mean, if you, I mean, he, the first, first book of Corinthians, I mean, Paul is saying, you guys are jacked up. Can I use that term? You're whacked. You're messed up. And he's correcting them. And we have this illusion. Well, I go to church. It should be perfect. Wake up. There is no perfect church on this earth. And you know what? You're going to fail. I'm going to fail. And so Paul is trying to correct this messed up church. They're messed up. And so we, we then get disappointed. We get disillusioned. And so I, I've met plenty of people and they're, they're blaming God. They're blaming the church. They blame me. They blame elders. They blame people for the problems. And the reality is they had this illusion, this disillusionment. And now they're, they start throwing this as, into doubt. You see, once you and I have a dose of reality that the church is full of messed up people, thank God, amen? I love the song. The songs were perfect for today. I love the last song. He came to my rescue. I'm a jacked up person. And he came to rescue me. And the church is full of messed up people. And you need to stop thinking that everything's perfect. You know, I don't like those songs. It's not about you. It's about God. I don't like the way you preach. Sorry. This is the word of God today. Come on. I don't like this. I don't like... Well, when when did the world evolve around you? Revolve around you? It, It doesn't. All right, I need to get off that. So... You see, our hopes are shattered. Then it causes us to doubt in God. In reality, it's not fair to God, and it's not fair to people to put unspoken expectations on their lives. You'll get this in a minute. So let me just go back to the church example for a second. So when you put an unfair and unspoken expectation on the pastor, the board members, or people in the church, and they have no idea what your expectations are, and we fail your expectations and then you say you see that church every time it fails that's pretty immature to be honest with you oh did that just come out of my mouth that's pretty shallow and when you go into a marriage or a relationship or you go to work you go you live in a country and you put this false illusion and you have this mindset this hope and they have no idea what hope it is and then when they fail you you are failing yourself they didn't fail you and it's the same thing with God. We put this hope in God and we tell God how to answer our life, prayers. We tell God how everything should work out. And when it doesn't go that way, then we say, well, where's God? He's still on the throne. He still loves you. He still is nearby. You need to change your mindset. 
you need to stop allowing disillusionment to throwing you off. Disillusionment, when you use that against God, it's not fair. And God's a big God. He's not like, oh, that's not fair. Like, I'm God. I can answer any question you have anytime you actually want to bring it to me. And I can correct you for your false ways and your deceptive mindset. Are you following me today? You see, this is where you and I need to learn about Thomas. He had doubts. Thomas had his hopes shattered and doubts arose in his life, but he went to God. So real quick, let her her see, write this down because we're going to move on. All of us can be called Doubting Thomas. All of us have face pain or is going to face pain. We can all be disappointed. We're going, to be dis- we're going to have struggles. We're going to have doubts. We're going to have disillusionment. But you cannot allow that to control your faith in God who is always good. God is good all the time. Whether you feel Him or not. Whether you think about it or not. I'm married 24-7 whether I feel it or not. I'm a dad 24-7 whether I feel it or not. I'm a human 24-7 whether I feel it or not. Come on, amen? You're like, God, What? So let's move on. Unless it says here in John and and Peter, Thomas says this. He says, "Unless number two, unless I see it, I won't believe it." And he says again. He says, "Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into the side, I will not believe it." You see, unless I write this, I think unless I. You see, this statement means that our faith really is based on us. If I don't see things the way that I think they should go, then I'm not going to believe. That's immature, by the way. If I can't find the answers, then I'm not going to believe. That's incomplete and immature, by the way. If I don't feel God in worship, then God is not present or possibly not even real. That, again, is also very shallow. You see, the major problem, again, with this kind of doubt is the focus is on us and not God. You're making the demands. You're telling God how he must act. You're saying, if I don't see it, if I don't touch it, I don't feel it, I don't taste it, then it's not God. Maybe your sensory is messed up. You ever heard the word colorblind? People are colorblind, they can't see correct colors. Some people can't taste certain things. Some people can't smell certain things. Some people, so, so maybe the problem is not God. Maybe the problem is that doubt has caused you to look at God in the wrong light. Maybe you've been disillusioned. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been disappointed. Welcome to the real world. Come on, I'm not trying to be mean. You see, when you keep saying, unless I see this, unless this happens for me, you're putting the whole world at your beck and call. You're saying everything revolves around me and if I'm not pleased, then God does not exist. That is very shallow. Very immature. Come on. We're all going to be disappointed. We're all going to disappoint other people, but God never fails. And the unless I statement is the doubter's statement of faith. And you see, we don't live just in an age of skepticism, but of credulity, where people, they, again, they want to touch, they want to feel, they want to see. And again, we're Pentecostals. We believe in manifestations. We believe in that. And I've seen people raised up and healed, and I've seen and I've felt, I've felt God, but there's times I don't feel God. Does that make him not God? He is still God. I've had prayers answered. I've had prayers not answered. Does that make him less of anything of God? No, he is still God. Come on. Again, the question is for us is, is our faith based on God or our feelings or our illusion of who God is? 
See, believing is not always seeing. Hebrews 11, let her be on that. Believing is not always seeing. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and uncertain of what we do not see. Hebrews eleven six And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Again, I've used this worn-out example. Some of you are tired of it. Some of you are like, this is new. The example of UV rays, right? They're dangerous. Would you agree? It's like, what, UV? Is that a new TV show? Is that on Netflix this week? The sun emits a lot of rays, good and bad. And so there's these ultraviolet rays, and you could say, well, you know what? I don't, I don't believe in them. I doubt they exist, and then they can cause a lot of damage. Right? No. Just because we don't see UV rays doesn't mean they don't exist. And they don't have a powerful effect or negative effect. You see, if we say that we must see God to prove He exists, again, it shows that we have a shallow understanding of who God is. And God does show Himself. I mean, you look at creation every day. Come on, the Bible says that creation testifies you and I must understand that God is still on the throne. Whether you like it or not, whether we doubt Him or not. You see, Thomas was really skeptical, not cynical. And the problem is, if doubt and disillusionment continue life, it will move to being cynical. Now, there's nothing wrong with critical thinking. Critical thinking is good. Cynical thinking is destructive. Thomas was not a cynic. He was skeptical. In fact, the word skeptical, again, he was not afraid of death. He was not afraid. God said, Jesus said to him, because you see me, you believe. But healthy skepticism leads people to look for answers. Cynicism dismisses answers because of disillusionment or because of an unfair mindset. Skepticism, in fact, if you look it up, one one of the definitions I found, skepticism means to look at a matter closely, to scrutinize, to study with great care and in minute detail. So being a skeptic means I'm going to search for truth until I find it. We've taken the word skeptic and we think it means cynic. And so what happens when you, one pastor, I was reading in a book saying that he met someone, he says, I don't believe in the Bible, I'm a skeptic. And he says, have you ever read the Bible? And the guy says, well, don't you just understand what I said? I've never read, I don't believe in the Bible. Then how can you, you're not a skeptic then. You're really cynical, you're not skeptical. But the other side is that is you and I can keep asking questions, asking questions, oh, I got God on this one. Ooh. Let me help you out. You might have a 200 IQ, but God has an infinite knowledge you never can stump God I dare you to try I did Pastor Stan well you're here today maybe there's a God alright I love you Thomas was not cynical but skeptical and here's the good news because he was looking for truth Jesus came to Thomas and answered his question and Jesus knew his questions so let me tell you that God knows your questions. You may not get the answers you want. You may not get the answers you like, but he has an answer. And, when, and the word says, if you seek God, he will be found. We'll talk about that in a moment. Search for God. Don't become cynical. Our world is full of cynics. So here's the dangers of doubt. You doing good? Number three, the dangers of doubt. So doubt left unchecked can be corrosive. Doubt left unchecked can be corrosive again let me go over the example 
just like continually going into the sun without using UV protection, it will cause damage over time. Right? Some of you are now, you're dealing with damage because you kept going out in the sun. I don't need sunscreen. I'm, I'm me. Right? I'm me. I don't need sunscreen. But now you're dealing with like burn marks and stain and you have to go to the doctor and, and all. And so, or maybe your eyesight's not so good uh, because you kept looking up at the sun. You see, again, you can think like that, but it's not always healthy. And what happens is doubt left unchecked can be corrosive. Again, it's like hydrofluoric acid. Hydrofluoric acid, by the way, it's very dangerous. And I remember again in high school and in, 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 in chemistry and biology before I got kicked out because I was, you know, I failed my first semester in college. But I do remember that if you get hydrofluoric acid on you, it's not just good enough just to wash it off. Like if you get hydrochloric acid, you can just wash it off. You'll be fine with water. Hydrofluoric acid, you can wash it off the water and you think, I don't feel it, but the reality is the fluoride begins to work down and begins to eat and be corrosive on your bones. And like your doubts, if left unchecked, they are like that. They will go down to your innermost being and begin to corrode who you are. It'll begin to make you cynical. It'll begin to, you'll use, again, this disillusionment, illusions of life, and you'll say, well, where is God? And you've not dealt with the doubts. You've not honestly dealt with the doubts. You've not honestly gone to God and say, God, I don't understand this. I have doubts. I have questions. I'm struggling. And I guarantee you, God will answer. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be the answer you want, but He will answer you. Try Him. Well, I've tried. You need God to help you out. Talk to people. Be with other people. Ask other people. You see, when when we ask questions in a vacuum, we're not going to get a good answer. When you just keep asking questions of people that believe like you, they're going to keep reinforcing your wrong thoughts. Oh, I didn't mean to offend you by that, but that's... We see, we do that all the time. It's, it's, we get in groups of people who are like us, affinity groups, and we go ask them questions. Is that wrong? No, it's fine. I don't see anything wrong with that because they're thinking like you. And you got this little bubble of people that all believe the same and, oh, you know, I, you know. And you've got to get out sometimes of your bubble and talk to someone who has a different mindset, who has a different perspective than you. Yes, Christians, you should hang out with Christians, but you also need to stretch yourself. Always go to God. Always pray. Always seek the Lord. He will always answer you. So doubt can be corrosive if it's not dealt with. We must look for hidden truth behind our doubts. And I know I say this, you can doubt your doubts. You can question your questions. I mean, you can fall into the trap. I always have questions. You can keep questioning and questioning and questioning, but you should sometimes question your questions. Where did that come from? Why did I think that? Where's the source of this? Who is responsible for that thought? Is it me? Is it just the craziness? Is it too much soda last night? Did I, am I just like lacking sleep because I played video games for the last four days straight? Is it because all you do is you get all your information from the internet and social media? Well, I didn't see a meme on that, Pastor. It can't be true. And I know every meme on the internet is true, whether it's true or not. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We reinforce what we want to reinforce, and then we say, well, where's God? Where's God? I doubt it. I doubt Him. God is not afraid of your questions. He is not afraid of my questions, and He will help us. Doubt can never be satisfied. Let it be, doubt can never be satisfied. If you're not careful, we can use doubt to dismiss the facts. I mean, I mean, how many of you are, are part of a company or a government and they run analysis after analysis after analysis after analysis and because there's a 0.01% chance of failure, you don't do it. 
or a 5% chance or 20% chance. And you, you know, I talked about analysis paralysis. And we keep running the numbers. This is a, you know what, I want 100%. You know, there's nothing 100% in life except for God. And so we, we, we run these scenarios in our minds and they'll never be satisfied. Doubt always wants to consume, but it never wants to consummate. It clamors endlessly for answers and so drowns out the answers that might be there. I doubt it, I doubt it, I have questions, I have questions, I have questions. And so many in this room, you're using doubt as an excuse to not actually step into what the answer really is. I'm just being honest with you. Thomas brought the doubts and they were answered and he stepped into a new life. Some of you, you're the doubting Thomas, not the Thomas of the Bible. And you're staying stuck in this. And some of you in this room, you are using doubt as an excuse not to step out in faith. You're using doubt as an excuse not to build a new relationship. You're using doubt to keep you from serving the Lord, from, from getting to know the people, from tithing, from, from living for Jesus. Jesus comes to... I mean, this is amazing. Some of you are like, well, I saw that Netflix. And it, this is boring, Pastor. I saw it Star Wars, Star Trek. And I love science fiction movies. They're fun, but they're just computer generated. They're not real. There's no such thing as a transwarp drive. There's not an X-wing fighter that can blast off from this earth and go to space and travel at light speed and then come back. It just doesn't happen yet. Okay, something like, really? What? So now Jesus, the disciples together, now Thomas is with them. I don't know what he was doing the first time. He's there, the room is shut. Jesus walks through the wall. That's pretty awesome. I doubt it. Okay, let me see you walk through the wall. Go ahead. Let's see you walk without killing yourself, without knocking something. Jesus walks through the wall, and of course he says, peace, because I mean, that would, if you have, freak you out, right? And they weren't even doing mushrooms or any other thing. No mind altering. They were like looking, they were like Jesus was resurrected, and Thomas is like, okay, and he's with him, and now Jesus walks he comes to the wall, you know, and he's there and he's peace be with you. And then he goes right to Thomas. Thomas, touch me. Touch my side. Touch my hands. He doesn't allow Thomas to doubt. Well, I doubted God. And you know what? And you look away. I doubted God. I don't see it. But Thomas, he doesn't really say he touched him or not. But then he says, Thomas, now because you see me, you believe. But greater is the faith of those who don't see me, but they believe. Maybe some of you have had a divine revelation of Jesus I have not but I still believe who Jesus is will you walk by faith and not by sight you see here's the benefit of doubt you're like what yeah there's benefit of doubt I need to end this down so letter A doubt when honest doubt when honest can set us on a quest for truth Thomas doubt led him to find Jesus his doubt brought him to Jesus Jesus came to him and when we move past our petty little immature excuses, and I'm not trying to be mean, and our cyclical logic that, you know, just circular logic that can never be answered because we keep making excuses, we keep coming up with these weird questions. Can God make a rock so big that it can't move? The answer is no. What if, you need to stop the what if and say, okay, God, I, please, I'm ready to hear the answer now. 
You see, when we move past our excuses and really seek God, we will really find Him. Matthew 7, 7 through, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Listen, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds and he who knocks, the door will be opened. If you really seek God, He will give you the answers. I'm just telling you, I don't believe it. Well, that's your problem, not mine. Deuteronomy 4.29, but if some if somewhere from here, uh, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you look for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Many people have found the Lord because they sought after Him. So my question is, if you're really honest about your doubts and you go seeking truth, you're going to find truth. And my question then is, are you serious about seeking the Lord? Or you just keep throwing up excuses? You keep throwing up these false, disillusioned illusions. The world is not all about you. There is a God in heaven, and you're not Him. But that God in heaven loves you and I. That He will move the world sometimes, and sometimes He will seem silent, but He is always there. He always loves us. Come on, amen? So the second, the last part of this is the, the, the benefits of doubt. Doubt helps us realize that we need a Savior. Your doubts should prove to you, when is the last time you created a world? Um, never. When's the last time you walked through a wall? Oh, well, I had some, uh, some dope lesson. I walked through a wall. That wasn't real. That wasn't real. Well, in my video games all the time, that's not real. It's an electronic stimulation that's not real. When faith is based on us, it will fail every time until I see it, until I feel it, until I understand it. If that is your faith and it's all based on you, it's not based on God. Come on, let's be honest. I meet atheists, I meet people that try to doubt it. Well, if I don't have my answers, man, but that's, you're making yourself God. You're saying, I'm the full, ultimate authority on whether truth is truth or not. You can't do that. I can't do that. That would mean you and I would need all knowledge of everything. And every, I'm, you know what? You're all smart, you're good looking, but you don't have all truth. You don't have all knowledge. All knowledge would mean you would know about every song in the world. All knowledge would mean you know how to play every instrument in the world. All knowledge would mean you would know about every science, every philosophy, every history, everything. Go ahead, tell me everything. None of us have that. And so when we go around and say, God, I doubt it, and until you answer, you're saying, I am the apex. I am the sole authority. That is shallow and immature. But God is very loving. He is not, well, let me put you out. He says, I have answers for you. First is, his name is Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. Jesus said, I am truth. And when we run to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I need God. In the Gospels, it says here, Father, he confessed that he doubted and Jesus healed the son. Matthew 9, 27 says, if you can. He's saying, Jesus, if you can, will you heal my son? And Jesus said, if I can? Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You see, you can do that. You can go say, God, I don't understand. I don't believe it. I'm doubting. Will you help me? God says, yes, I will. I doubt it, God, Pastor Shane, because you're not really seeking him. This man was desperate. He was desperate for an answer, and God gave him it. And then it just, you can read it later. Write it down, Mark 9, 23. Jesus heals him. He lifts him up. You see, everyone doubts. 
And this reality that we doubt should make us go to God and say, I need God. In a world that is messed up, when a world that they'll make a PhD out of something that's not even true. I mean, really, we, we can make a PhD to, to, for, un, for evil, for, for things that aren't true. So here we go, resolving doubts. Are you ready? John 8, 31 and 32. Would you stand with me this morning? Resolving doubts. John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, listen, this is, this is how you're going to resolve doubts. I know this sounds simplistic. Well, uh, you know, I'm into all the other stuff. This is very simplistic, but it's harder for you and I to grasp. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, truth is not an ascent. Truth is not Plato's Republic. Truth is not Homer's Odyssey. Truth is not uh, some scientist. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus, who is the creator of all the world. He has all knowledge. He is truth and grace together at the same time. And so if you put your faith in Jesus, the truth, if you really follow his teachings, which are true, then you will know Jesus, the truth, and you'll be free of these crazy doubts. Not always, but you can always say, God, I doubt. I have disillusioned. I'm disappointed. Can you help me? He says, I will help you every time you come to me. Some of you in this room, you're doubting. You're, you've doubted. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus can resolve your doubts, but you must go to Jesus for truth. He is the way. He is light. He, is, he says, I am the only way to heaven. There is no other way. Jesus is the way to heaven. But you have to go to that truth. You must understand that our faith, it ebbs and flows. It grows. It stalls. We have great days. We have bad days. We're on fire. Sometimes we're cold. Sometimes we're lukewarm. In all of that, you and I must understand that God is still God, regardless. No matter what you feel, no matter what your world says, no matter what your mind even says, God is still on the throne all the time. And He loves you. He cares for you. He will speak to you. He will give you signs and wonders at times. Sometimes He'll speak to you through a book, a sermon, through a person, through the sunshine, through a bird. I don't know. But I'm here to tell you that God is God, whether you believe Him or not, whether you have doubts or not. And He wants you to come to Him with your doubts, with your disillusionment, with your disappointments, with your discouragement, knowing that you can find answers. You see, Thomas had doubts, but he went to Jesus. Jesus came to him. He said, I'm, I, until I see Jesus... That's what he's saying. Until I actually see Jesus, I'm going to go to, I'm going to look for Jesus, I'm going to find Jesus. Until you stop fake with all your fake questions and say, there is a God, I need to go to him. You see, Jesus did not turn Thomas away. Again, as I said later, if you look in the Bible, the Bible says Thomas was an apostle. An apostle, they started churches, they raised up ministers, and they operated in the power of the Holy Spirit through gifts and signs and wonders. And as I said, Thomas went on to spread the gospel to the Parthians and then he went to India and he started the church in India, as far as I know. And he was martyred. He got over his doubts. I'm sure even in India, when he was preaching the gospel, wherever he went, he probably still had doubts, but he understood he had an encounter with God. God will answer. He will answer any question I have. You see, God is not afraid of your questions. 
Thomas's doubts drove him to find answers and draw, drew him closer to Jesus. Will you allow your doubts to drive you closer to God and not away from God? He has answers for you. Many in this room, you're doubting the purpose of life. You're doubting why you're alive. You're doubting why you're here. You're doubting this and that. I have an answer. His name is Jesus. He can answer those questions. I'm not smart enough. But God, Jesus has all knowledge, all love, all truth. So Father, today in Jesus' name, I don't know what we're struggling with. I know I have doubts. I've been disappointed. I've been disillusioned, God, but it doesn't matter because you're still on the throne. And Jesus, you're still the King of kings. You're still the Lord of lords. And Jesus, you came through the wall and you then made yourself known to Thomas. And Thomas, later on, I didn't read it, but he said, my God, my Lord, saying, you are the King of kings and I don't doubt you anymore. I pray that us in this room would have a divine revelation of Jesus today. We may not feel him. We may not see him, but it doesn't make him any less powerful. It doesn't make him any less of who God really is. So today in Jesus' name, I'm praying that today you'd help us to get over these doubts, these disillusionments, these, these disappointments, and they would drive us to Jesus and not to more doubt and more deception and to ourselves because we can't even answer our own questions. We struggle who we are every day. But Jesus, you look at us And you see us as people that you love. You see us as a person that's been redeemed or is going to be redeemed by the love of God. And then it says you give us a purpose, a hope, a future, Lord Jesus. So I'm asking for everyone in this room today that you give everyone in this room a hope, dreams, a future, God. Yes, we can be disillusioned. Yes, we can be disappointed. Yes, we can have doubts. But when we go to you, God, you answer every time. So clear out the fog. Clear out the doubts. Clear out the deception of the world. Clear out our own pride, our own ego. We think we know it all. Only you know it all, God. But you draw close to those who draw close to you. So today, in the name of Jesus, would you help everyone in this room draw close to you right now? That we would repent of our old ways. We would stop holding you hostage with questions and just say, you know what, there's an answer and I need to, just, I need to follow the truth. Help us today in Jesus' name. Friends, I want to give opportunity for those in the room with your eyes closed, your heads bowed. You've heard me talk about this Jesus. Maybe you know this Jesus. Maybe you've walked away from this Jesus. Maybe you've never really accepted 